probably shouldn't be sharing since I'm a, a pastor, but this is the secret. I know how to make a pastor's head explode. Now, if you're not a pastor, this can be a whole lot of fun to watch, but if you are a pastor, well, you know, for Pastor David and I, it can make our eyes bug out, steam can start coming from out of our ears, our blood pressure can rise, and all the while, we're trying to smile and hold it all together. So here are three simple ways to make a pastor's head explode. First one is this, after the pastor has delivered a message with great passion, come up to him after the service and say, Pastor, you know what, I have to tell you, your messages are awesome. I look forward to coming to church every Sunday. Your sermons provide the best 25-minute nap of the week. The steam will start coming. Or here's the second one. This is one that can happen um, unexpectedly. Totally miss the point. For example, if the pastor preaches a message on the importance of reading Scripture, the importance of reading your Bible, come up to him again and say, Pastor, I'm glad you told me that I don't need to read my Bible. Or if the pastor challenges the congregation to live every single day of their, of their life for Christ, make the statement, I give God Sunday mornings, Pastor, but the rest of the week is mine. That'll get him. And then here's a classic, and I've shared this one with some of you in the past. It only works as if you've been in church for years, and if you've heard countless messages on salvation, and have even attended Bible studies led by the pastor. So if you meet those requirements, you can blow up your pastor's head with this question. So pastor, how do I know if I'm good enough to get to heaven? There are countless ways, countless ways to make your pastor's head spin. And I'm sure you can come up with a few of your own, and as I look around the room, I can see your faces behind your mask, and I can tell the wheels are turning, and you're coming up with some new ideas yourself. Just do me one favor. Try them out on Pastor David and not me. <laughs> but, you know, the, the good enough to get to heaven question is typically not asked to get a rise out of the pastor. It's a, a sincere question that often originates from an, an inner doubt. You know, we know we don't deserve to be able to go to heaven. That's true. We believe the truth that Jesus saved us by grace, not by works. That's also true. But doubt can cause us to think that we somehow need to do more. We somehow get in our mind that we need to add to Jesus' works on the cross. And that is definitely not true. Jesus did the work. We admit that we're sinners. We ask for forgiveness. We put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And Jesus saves us. And you and I are made right with God. The thing is, though, is even a strong believer can sometimes have doubts. And sometimes those doubts can lead to what we would say is a lack of assurance. 
And I wish I had Carolyn's notes up here because her definition of assurance was really good. Because all I'm going to say is assurance is knowing that Jesus saved you. Assurance is knowing that heaven is your home. My, my favorite assurance passage is found in 1 John 5.13. John wrote this. He said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. See, John wrote his letters so that those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus would know, that they would know that they have eternal life. God doesn't want us doubting. God wants us to be secure in him. God provides assurance. Theologian Robert Peterson, in in his book, The Assurance of Salvation, speaks of several troublers of assurance. And troublers are those things or, or people who threaten to rob us of our assurance, our confidence in Christ. And there are many, but, but here are a few. The first can be a difficult background. A difficult background can include being raised in an abusive family, a household without love, or, or with a cold and distant father. If you've not experienced love, if your father was cold, abusive, or overly demanding, you can doubt the goodness of your heavenly Father. You might think, no one loves me. No one has my back. No one really cares, so why should I believe in God? Why would he be any better than anything I've seen? And if that's you, I would say focusing on the goodness of God, looking and seeing how God has worked in your life, that helps overcome a difficult background. Our Heavenly Father is the perfect Father. Another troubler of assurance is the propensity to doubt. Remember Thomas in the Bible? Thomas is known as the doubter, but we often forget that Thomas also became a believer. Some people doubt because they see evil in our world and they can't believe that there's really a God who's in control and who loves us. And when they do that, they miss the point. Our sin, the the sins of mankind are responsible for all the bad things that happen. When sin entered the world, the world fell. In other words, it became corrupt. God allows evil, but he uses evil for good. Tough times are meant to draw people close to God. And there are others who think they're simply too smart for God. They've got it all figured out. They know exactly how creation happened, and they don't need a God. And I always say to them, you're really not as smart as you think. And then the last troubler I want to mention is apostasy. Apostasy is the defection from a faith once claimed. Apostasy is the defection from a faith that once was claimed. See, this person looked like a Christian. They may have said they were a Christian, and then they turned their back on Christ. And this is terrible for the person who is apostate, the person that turns their back on Christ, but apostasy can also affect the faith of others. 
when a, a well-known Christian or a prominent pastor or maybe one of our good friends who's a Christian turns their back, or who we thought was a Christian, when they turn their back on Jesus, it can cause us to doubt our assurance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a good, good Father. You are perfect. Your love is perfect. You will never let us go. We can be assured of our place in your kingdom. This morning we ask you to teach us concerning assurance. Sometimes we doubt. Our life experiences may make it hard to believe in your goodness. We've seen others turn their back on you and it influences us. Help us to trust. Help us to have confidence in your Son. Open our eyes to the assurance that can be ours through Christ. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. This morning we're continuing our journey through John's Gospel. We've kind of, as we've been doing this, Pastor David and I, we've kind of been going slowly. We're kind of soaking in God's Word as we go through this book. We've come to the middle of chapter John 6. Just a few minutes ago, Pastor David read from John 6, um, verses 35 through 40. And in that passage, there's a great message of assurance. If you were with us last week or watching online, you might remember Pastor David shared the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. And that came from John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. And then in the verses right after that passage, we see the crowds catching up with Jesus on the opposite shore of Galilee in Capernaum. Those who followed Jesus to that other shore asked a question that many of us might ask today. They asked, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In asking that question, they wanted to justify themselves. They had a, a desire to assure themselves of their standing with God. Now, we can't know their motives. Maybe their motives were sincere. Or maybe they were rooted in pride. But we do know that those people were looking for a list of tasks. They were looking for a to-do list. They were thinking, well, you know what? If I do A and B and C, I'll be good with God. The only problem they had is they weren't sure what A, B, and C were. And Jesus' answer to them, I'm sure, was surprising. He said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus was saying that our work, if you want to call it work, our work is to simply trust in him. It's not a to-do list. It isn't works righteousness. And then if you continue reading, the people then press Jesus for a sign, but you have to think that some of these people were part of the 5,000 who had been miraculously fed by Jesus. And we think you need another sign? And that brings us to John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus started this passage by saying, I am the bread of life. And that was a very bold statement. Last week, Pastor David pointed out that there are several I am statements in John. In fact, there's seven very clear ones, to be exact. When Jesus used the words that we translate I am, or in the Greek it's ego ami, 
I just kind of like to say that it kind of rolls off your tongue, ego of me. But when he said that, when Jesus said, I am, he was saying that he is God. Last week we were reminded that God said, to Mo- God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people I am sent you. Jesus is I, the I am. And when Jesus continued and said that he was the bread of life, it was, Jesus was saying that he is the, the food of life. Jesus continued saying that whoever believes in him will never hunger, they will never thirst. Now, we hear that and we've got to remember that Jesus is not saying that he's our meat and potatoes. It's not the type of food of which Jesus was speaking, even though Jesus provides the food that we eat. What Jesus was saying is that he is our spiritual food. He is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life for now and for eternity. And so with with that as our starting point, let's see what Jesus said that relates to our assurance. First, we have to realize that we are summoned to belief. In John 6, 37, Jesus said, All the Father gives to me will come to me. See, the Father gives people to Jesus. In verse 39, he spoke of those that the Father had given him. And then in verse 44, just beyond our passage, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We can't come to Jesus unless we're drawn to him by God the Father. In John 10, 29, Jesus spoke of the Father giving him his sheep. We're the sheep. And Jesus' words here present the, a theological concept. It's known as election. Wayne Grudem says election is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved. Mark 24, 31 or Matthew 24, 31, Romans 8, 33, speak of be- believers being the elect. Colossians 3, 12 calls us God's chosen ones. First Thessalonians 1, 4 says God has chosen us. See, we are called, we are drawn, we are chosen, we are elected by God. You could say that God summons us to belief in his Son. Now I have to admit, understanding how all this works is very challenging, and we can't possibly cover it in this message. And I will also add that it's an area where Christians disagree. Some say we first have to have faith, and then we're elected. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. God acts first. God gives people to Jesus. God draws you and I to Jesus. Giving and drawing clearly happen first. Once we're called, we believe. Again, Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. God is sovereign. But you and I are responsible. We must respond. We are called because God is merciful. We respond in faith. Romans 10.9 states, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In response to being drawn by Jesus, drawn to Jesus by God the Father, we are to confess and believe. And again, not all Christians have the same view of election, but remember this. 
You're here in this room today. You're watching or listening online because God has drawn you to his son. And that's good news. It demonstrates the love of God. And God has many more people that he is calling to faith in Jesus. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of settled into that seat. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect into that seat. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect when Ruth seat. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have kids. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have kids that she and. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have kids that she and I will have. And Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have kids that she and I will have to undergo. Mary and I have joked because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have kids that she and I will have to undergo. Ex- joke because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have kids that she and I will have to undergo extensive. Because we kind of suspect when Ruth and Adam have kids that she and I will have to undergo extensive training and testing from Ruth before we're allowed to drive with their kids in our car. I can tell you, anyone, any little one put in a car seat by Ruth will be safely secured. They'll be the safest and most secure person in the vehicle. And again, that's good news. Being safe and secure is something that we all seek. A mom and dad, they want to protect their children. Children want their aging parents safe. Pastors long to be secure in knowing that their congregation has heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. We wear masks in public to be safe. We wash our hands a whole lot more than we ever used to. We save money for our retirement. We exercise to stay healthy. We try And the key word here is try. We try to eat the right foods to maintain our health. Being home for a couple months made that a little more challenging. And, by the way, I know that chocolate is a healthy food choice. Our children's ministry director, Carolyn, told me that chocolate is good for us. She agrees. See, chocolate provides us with a sense of security. You can ask Carolyn about that afterwards. Our being safely secured is at the heart of the assurance we have in Christ. In our passage, Jesus said in verse 37, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then two verses later, Jesus added this. He said, I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me. Later on in John chapter 10, 28, Jesus was speaking of Christians when he said, No one will snatch them out of my hand. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus, period. And here's your second theological term for the day. It's, or actually third, it's preservation. God keeps his people saved. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he said, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you belong to Jesus, 
Nothing. Nothing in all of creation, and I think that pretty well covers it, nothing can separate you from Jesus' love. And we hear that and we know that, that is, that's quite frankly some of the best news ever. But then we wonder, what about that person, that person who commits apostasy? Remember, we said apostasy is the defection from a faith that was once claimed. The person looked like a Christian. They went to church. They may have said that they were a Christian. And then one day they announced that they were no longer a believer. They rejected Jesus. And when that happens, we have to wonder. We have to wonder, did, did Jesus lose them? Did Satan snatch them away? Or did they themselves separate from God? And again, here's an area where Christians disagree. The, the Reformed tradition on which this church was founded says, once saved, always saved. Our John's passages speak to preservation. If we belong to Jesus, Jesus isn't going to let us go. And for us, with apostasy, if the person doesn't return to the faith, we would question if they'd been truly saved to begin with. Now, the Wesleyan-Arminian tradition is different. They would say a person who is truly born again can lose their salvation. They can lose and regain their salvation many times. But, but here's something very important to remember. Whether you are Reformed or Arminian in your approach, the approach to that person who walks away from their faith is the same. It's the same approach. Pray for them. Continue to live out Christ in front of them. Discuss their doubts. Listen to them. Talk to them. Ask God to give you the right words to say to them. Show them the truth of Jesus. Have another person help you discuss the Bible with them. We all know someone who appears to have walked away from their faith. And the best advice I can give you is don't give up on them. And maybe when somebody does walk away from their faith, it's made you doubt your own faith. You've doubted your assurance. You might be wondering, am I really truly a follower of Jesus Christ? And if that's you, Wayne Gruden suggests you ask yourself a couple questions. And the first question, I think there's a great question, is ask yourself, do I trust in Jesus for my salvation? If the answer is yes, awesome. But it's, if not, if you're not sure, I'd say, what's holding you back? Keep coming to church. Read your Bible. Join a community group. Get in a connection class when they resume. Ask God to help your unbelief. Talk to Pastor David or talk to me. And then the second question is, do I see a long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life? Do I see a long-term pattern of growth in my Christian life? And I think we would agree that in our life, we all have times where we have had some great spiritual growth. Other times, we've seemed to kind of wander around in the, the wilderness. But, but here's the truth. If you belong to Jesus, your life should look different today compared to how it looked, say, 5 or 10 or 20 years ago. The fact is, we're, we're never going to be perfect. 
but we should see evidence of Christ transforming our life. And if you're sitting there and saying, boy, I don't, I don't really think, I, I don't see any growth in my life, maybe you're being too hard on yourself, but if you're being accurate, commit yourself to Christ. Ask God to change you. And here's the truth, if, if your heart is willing, God will transform you. We have assurance that Jesus will never let us go. And that means that you and I have been saved to be raised. When Jesus saved us, it was a promise to raise us. Jesus spoke of our being raised on the last day in verses 39 and 40 from our passage. He said, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Did you notice in just two verses there, Jesus spoke twice of His heavenly Father's will? And if you go back and you read the whole passage, there was actually a third time where God's will, God the Father's will was mentioned. And that's reassuring. It was God's will that Jesus come. It was God's will that Jesus die for our sins and be raised from the dead. It's also the will of God the Father that all who belong to Jesus will live with him for eternity. The end of this life leads immediately to eternal life with God. That is God's will for his sons for those who belong to his son. It's his promise. It provides you and I with assurance. We can know that Jesus is with us today and that heaven is our home. We have assurance because our Heavenly Father is perfect. He keeps His promises. Today is Father's Day. And I'm blessed. My dad, sitting there, is a great dad. He worked hard to make a good life for my family We weren't rich, but more importantly, my sister and I knew we were loved. You know my dad, you know he's never met a stranger. His smile is contagious. I remember him playing catch with me when we were growing up. In high school, my dad thought I was a great basketball player. Trust me, I wasn't. (laughs) But knowing that dad supported me made me a better player. He welcomed my wife Mary into our family. Mom and Dad were always at our son Brett's plays and concerts. They rarely missed one of Adam's games. In fact, the parents of the other kids on Adam's teams called my mom and dad Grandma and Grandpa. And my dad has always been proud of me. He gives me a whole lot more credit than I really deserve. I knew that I was always loved growing up. You could say that I had assurance. Dad would love me, and he would take care of me. I was safe and secure. And some of us had great dads like that. But some of us had dads that did leave a lot to be desired. And today, too many kids grow up not knowing their dad. With no father figure in their life, it's easy for a kid to get off track. And so God may be calling you to be a father figure man to another younger man. And all of us men 
are called to love our families like Jesus loves us. We provide assurance of our love with words and with action. We put our family first. We provide and we protect. And this, this is so important. We love Jesus with everything in us. If we love Jesus and if we love those that God has put into our life, we will impact the next generation for Christ. We have assurance. And we are called to help others experience the safety and the security and the joy of belonging to Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We thank you for the men that you've put in our lives. We thank you for those that maybe took the place of our Father who wasn't there, who mentored us, who helped us grow, who taught us about your Son. And Father, I, I speak for all of us men when I say I know that, God, we fall short. In many churches today, there are so many more women than men. And in many cases, that's because dad or grandpa just doesn't want to come. But Father, I thank you. I thank you for the men who are here today, who are listening online. Father, they are a blessing. But the greatest blessing that we all have is you, Heavenly Father. You are the perfect Father. You are a good, good Father. You take care of us. You protect us. You provide for us. You love us when we're not very lovable. And you sent your Son to die on a cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. We didn't deserve it. But Jesus died for us so that we could be assured of a glorious eternity. We pray this morning, saying the words that Jesus taught us when praying to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able to 